you know, OTT means I'm able to subscribe to something and watch it on every device, depending on, you know, my, the best screen available to me in that moment, uh, which means also big screens. So before there was this con concept of, okay, uh, you know, digital is on mobile phones and computer is not on the big screen. Now, this is like liberating access to content. You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Loams. Great to have you joining us again this week. If you're new to the show, welcome. Each week we feature an in-depth interview with a different industry leader discussing the revolutionary impact technology is having on how sports are played, administered and consumed around the world. And on this week's show, we have Carlo DeMarquis. He's the group chief evangelist at Delta Tray, a role designed to push boundaries and ensure innovation remains at the heart of everything Delta Tray does. And for those unfamiliar with what Delta Trade does, they're likely the biggest company in sports you've never heard of, but have experienced their work the most, along with literally billions of other sports fans consuming games across the world. They work across OTT platforms, linear broadcast and next-gen digital experiences for top teams and leagues, including FIFA, UEFA, the NFL, the Premier League, MLB, DAZN, BBC Discovery, BT Sport, AT&T, just to mention a few. So I actually struggled a bit with putting together an appropriate bio and introduction for Carlo because whatever I could put down in a job description sense doesn't quite capture what he's contributed and continues to contribute to the world of sports digital, OTT and broadcast. But for those interested in this CV or resume aspect, Carlo's been with Delta Tray for 32 years and three months and serving in a series of technical roles including the CTO, Chief Product Officer and Chief Marketing Officer. But after all that, the best description I settled on for Carlo is that he's the person paid to be in the room that's ahead of the curve, which is the perfect point for us to dive straight into the discussion. I uh, hope you enjoy this. The last thing I'll say is if you would like to continue the discussion or anything that's raised in this, please reach out, Thomas at Sports Tech World Series or Thomas Alomes on LinkedIn. You can also get show notes at Sports Tech Feed. But let's get right into it. Here is Carlo DiMarchi from Delta Trey. Carlo Dumarquis, Chief Evangelist at Delta Trey. Welcome to Sports Tech Feed. Hi, Thomas. So great to have you on the show. And uh, Delta Trey is, is probably the largest company in sports that many fans have never heard of. Can you briefly outline some of the main areas of focus and, and some of the notable clients that you work with? Yeah, I mean, we've been in this business since 1986. Uh, always behind the scenes, if you want. We've always been an enabler for our clients, big sport properties worldwide, or on the other hand, you know, I would say media companies now, I would say broadcaster in the past, because again, we, we were born in 1986, before internet, if you want. Um, and we had various phases in our long history. We started like a company of five people in Torino, Italy, and we're now 1000 people, even a bit more in 16 offices in 11 countries. Uh, the Italian base is like one third of the company, then we have a a very big app in London, and then we are from Australia, Singapore, India, uh, some other place in Europe, uh, Germany, France, but then especially the US, which has been one of the latest, um, both in terms of market and footprint, footprint has been the expansion. Uh, as you know, as you may know, 1986, no, sorry, 2016, we have been uh, acquired, there was a huge investment from uh, Bruins Sports Capital that made us a bit more Americans and opened a lot of doors in the, in the States. We, 
we in, in two years basically we started working with the NFL, with MLB, uh, and a lot of um, other big clients. You may have seen the Sinclair deal that we just signed uh, one month ago. So for sure the the Americas has been um, a new market for us in some way. We've always been a global company, always been international because you know we started working with Formula One, then with other federation, and and then mid nineties with UEFA. Uh, the, the soccer, if you want, <laughs> European football, and then with FIFA, and then we work uh, since 2008, we started working with the Olympics. So we really have done everything possible in the world of sport. I always had, you know, the next uh, thing I wanted to have, and uh, years later, we would win it. So I think it's really, and the way we organize now in terms of uh, what we offer. Uh, we're focusing, if you want, on one side on OTT, and in uh, 2018 we acquired a company called Massive Interactive. That, uh, if you want, even if we were already doing OTT in sport, brought us a lot of product, people, and clients, both in sports and entertainment. So we're now doing WWE with them. We're doing Britbox. We're doing a lot of um, OTT-based projects. Uh, we also focus on what we call for the moment digital, which is everything digital except OTT. And then we have our more, if you want traditional in terms of it's a long time we are doing things in that area, but it's clearly not traditional because we are innovating continuously. And we call it the live. So everything to do with broadcast, with data. Uh, as you may know, we have a partnership with the DFL, Bundesliga, called STS. Uh, which is managing all the data and the statistics um, and the service around that for the Bundesliga. And that's a very innovative uh, part of the business, to be honest. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of clients, it's it's throw a dart at that, the, dart, the world map and you, you, you've got a presence and, and some of the biggest names there, obviously, FIFA UA for the Olympics, Absolutely. NFL. Um, so, and that's why I said it's one of the biggest companies in sports a lot of people haven't heard of. So working with all the biggest players and then those three areas of, of, uh, of OTT, digital, and then traditional broadcast, um, so to speak, in, in air quotes there, traditional. And one thing that differentiates us, if you want more and more, is that we've always been independent on one end. So we're not owned by, you know, a big media company or... And on the other end, we, all, we never own data. We've always been an enabler and we are never, we've never gone direct to consumer ourselves. So basically, we always work for the success of our clients. And that's really not a motto. It's not a tagline. It's really the way we mm. operate. We work with the client in a more partnership. We are supplier, obviously, but we work in a partnership way with clients and we stay possibly when everything goes well and very often does for them for like 20 years. And often we start working on a project that is in an area and we move and organically move through, you know, other projects. And that is true for sports properties and also for the other side of, you know, the golden circle of media rights or for media companies and broadcaster, uh, if you want. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, today's conversation, we're going we're gonna to cover off quite a few things. I mean, everything from uh, how the coronavirus has impacted that fan experience and then some of the things around that that uh, growth of direct-to-consumer, um, so sports properties looking how they can go straight to their fan. Um, and obviously, you're the partner, you're the, the, the B2B partner that enables the sports property go to the consumer. Uh, but starting off with the, the return to play in sports, I mean, it's 
slowly but surely sports are returning around the world um, with a lot of differences, most notably from a fan experience point of view is uh, the limited or complete lack of fans uh, in the stadium. Uh, we're also seeing altered schedules, uh, so compressed seasons, shorter quarters in, in, in some sports, um, overlapping seasons, you know, sports that generally wouldn't have hit into each other. Um, so that's, you know, a lot of changes. Um, how can technology be used to enhance a fan experience through this disruption to the status quo? But if you want, I, I started using the term sport hiatus uh, in mid-March or the beginning of March. And this is the moment where the hiatus partially, as you said, is coming to an end, hopefully, and, and stays out of yeah, our life. There's, there's, there's glimmers. There's glimmers if it's on the <laughs> it's sunrise. There's glimmers, yeah. And I, I think, in, in general, what I want to say, I was positively impressed by how the industry reacted. So if, if we look back, in, in a, in, in, for us in Italy, we were a bit... Uh, anticipating everything for, for a lot of people, for a lot of countries. Not that they learn a lot, but in three days we went from, I think the last match was Juventus-Inter for us, without fans. In three days we went uh, in no life sports. So it was a huge transition in just three days. And I think immediately uh, as we you know started to understand what, what was going on, our instinct was saying, okay, let's go creative. Because for sure, we will need to fill this gap, this hiatus, with something. And I think we, we, we also wrote, and, and but there were five points we put there, and most of them uh, happened because clearly people had huge archive mm. that they tried to, to reuse. And uh, eSport was obviously something that came alive in, in very, you know, so new ways that was really fascinating to see. And if you see at Formula One, you know, the driver going back in real driving this weekend yeah. and they were like uh, virtual driving, which is not that, so it is different for sure. It's safer, but so it's, it's crazy how they, they switch from one to the other and, and still they were able to, you know, to capture the, the fan attention. On the other end, athletes were so much more protagonists. They're always, you know, protagonists, but directly protagonists with fans and, you know, the, the training and everything they, they did. Uh, from, I was totally fascinated and, and did a lot of uh, congratulations to my friends at the NFL in the way that the NFL draft was produced. Mm -hmm. It was amazing. So in general, there was one kind of a, you know, stronger together, like not only again as a tagline, but a real thing. I saw really... A partnership happening that would not have happened before. Production changes or changes in general, a lot towards digital. So if you want, the, a lot of things came our way. So we always push in a certain direction. And there has been a, a huge acceleration of change. Everything that we thought was not possible and would take sports federations for like two years happened in one month in some cases. And the same to your question of, okay, now we are starting and Bundesliga restarted mid-May, uh, mid a bit after mid-May and other leagues restarted the beginning of June and so on. So we've seen more and more sport restarting, especially in Europe. MLS is starting tomorrow in, uh, in the US. It is a different experience. So immediately we started talking to, you know, our broadcast client, etc. What can we do to, you know, fill this... <laughs> the fan missing being at the stadium and the players having an empty stadium. Yeah. Okay. And the broadcast having to manage with less people. So because it's no fans, but also no staff. Yes. Yeah. 
you have a limited number of people that can produce the game, talking about the, you know, the stadium experience in this case of uh, match sports. And so, you know, we started all, I think, in all <laughs> broadcaster and supplier, we started thinking about similar things. What do we do with the noise? Okay, so there is this option of, you know, the, I, will, I try not to call it fake, I call it artificial crowd noise. Uh, how do we feel the stands? Can we put artificial fans or, you know, AR, VR, mixed reality experiences? Um, can we put the fans in some way? Like, you know, have you, have you seen the big uh, Zoom uh, screens yeah. in some stadium in Germany? That was Germany. Or and, some, and I think it was yeah. a Danish football team as well had that. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And also um, putting cardboard of fans and creating this fan engagement. So I was really positively surprised. And I'm, I'm an optimist in general, but some, not that our industry has always been such a champion of change, yeah. if I can say. So this time, I, I really, and, and the way they did partnerships. So, you know, very often I have the rights, you buy my rights, but there is kind of contractual rigidity. I think uh, there was a lot of openness in the way this thing was approached, obviously to recover, protect and monetization and revenues and, and you know, sponsor contracts, etc. But also for the fans, because clearly the one thing that, um, I think silver lining about the, the acceleration of change is also how the fans uh, in general and the audience is really eager to, to have live sport back. Yes. In, at the beginning, I, I saw the, the change in, in, in uh, you know, in polls. At the beginning, everybody was, eh, sport with no fans. And, and after you understand that it's now more months and more months, Everybody is, is just eager to, to watch live sports again. Yeah, everyone's being locked <laughs> to, down at home. I don't want to say in any shape yeah. or form, but some. But that was, and yeah, on the other yeah. end, that was interesting as well. It was, it was that it was at the beginning, it was okay, archival footage, we can put that on, that's fine. Um, uh, like uh, Belarusian soccer at like the third level of Belarusian soccer, we'll put that on marble racing, yeah, we'll yeah. novelties, things like that, um, that yeah. were there. And then it just got to the point where people went, enough. Like I need to see my team and I need to see them play. Um, but, and it came back, but, it, the was, other but it was bizarre. It was bizarre without, yeah, without yeah, the yeah. traditional experience. And on the other end, you saw that, okay, the, if you want the pinnacle has been the last dance, docum sport yeah. documentary, that honestly, we all, I always thought it was a great tool in the hands of sport properties and, and sport broadcasters. And why would they leave it to, you know, someone like Netflix that can produce amazing content and not try to slowly and, and with whatever, you know, speed they can take ownership of that? Because you are a sport of storytelling in the end. You, your exchange is content to your audience, right? And why not this kind of clearly uh, content format that is dominating entertainment that is the original series? So is that, right? is that something you would like to see the NBA produce? themselves I, i'm not if you want um i don't think it's that important who produce it but it's more as a fan uh i don't know why uh, we, we are doing nfl game pass internationally which means every country in the world except usa canada and china for the nfl and we have a lot of content and they have nfl media doing nfl network they have the live games produced by the broadcasters and they have nfl films producing amazing content right but why not, as a, as a fan, I buy NFL Game Pass. Why not having all movies about the NFL, all new original series about the NFL? I understand the contra are different, but again, everything is possible post-pandemic. So as a fan, I want all my yeah. football in one place, maybe. 
Why not? So th that's the kind of, of shift. And the fact that uh, you can do amazing uh, fan engagement experiences with this, you know, well-crafted content is a lesson learned of this, this period, I guess. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, we kind of, I think we both got a bit excited about that and jumped around, but um, is it something that you're seeing with, with the return to, to play and say, uh, particularly on that, that schedule disruption? So sports overlapping each other, just trying to get a season in before 2021. Um, and then uh, with the tennis, for instance, I think it was the, with the Roland Garros and, um, and US Open, they're, they're a week apart now, um, just because they're, they're picking gaps in the, in the schedule. Is that one of those things that now fans are just expecting to be able to to watch kind of the games when they want or how they want? Like that that I guess that that myth of uh, you have to watch this at this time because that's when it's always been. Is that is that evaporating? But to be honest, two things: sport is live in me, in most cases. Traditional sport experiences are live in most cases and that's kind of the mantra of linear broadcasting i am a bit and that this is like a personal <laughs> view i'm always in the last years i've been not a big fan of linear in general and again live sport linear is the same thing in theory but as we see that as we saw i mean the, the evolution of digital video to ott and the fact that now our current ott uh, solution are on like 14 platforms so, you know, OTT can, means I'm able to subscribe to something and watch it on every device, depending on, you know, my, the best screen available to me in that moment, uh, which means also big screens. So before there was this con concept of, okay, uh, you know, digital is on mobile phones and computer is not on the big screen. Now, this is like liberating <coughs> access to content. Mm -hmm. So I can have a digital experience, which is, live when it needs to be live, VOD when it needs to be VOD, and can be enriched, can be interactive. We, uh, our Diva player has a lot of uh, data overlays and I can consume ways, uh, the content in nonlinear ways. I'm watching an NFL game, but I'm also watching Red Zone in a picture-in-picture. -picture. My game is boring. There is a long ad break. I switch with one touch to Red Zone. My game is starting back. I go... And I have all the content to, in football, go back and rewatch 10 times the goal because I'm not convinced of what happened. And in cases where we are doing the production with, with clients like FIFA and UEFA, I have 32, 40 camera available and I can watch the, the action yeah. from different angles. So this kind of experience. And, and across different sports different as from well. Across, you could have exactly. two games, two uh, different sports clashing in terms of imagine, imagine their, the their game time. So, yeah. So definitely, and we saw with the Olympics, we, we're now in the, our 12 years, no, next year, 13 years doing the Olympics with full video production. So using the production of for the Olympics, but doing full um, digital video experiences or OTT for the Olympics. Imagine the amount of content is available. There are like 64 live streams. Mm. I think OTT slash digital, whatever you want to call it, is the solution to let the fan decide with live and VOD instead of li pure linear. Because if, you, if you're linear, you have a limited number of channels, you have to decide which match you put where. I mean, if it's OTT, it's live, and I can have 60 things live, and it's VOD, and it's highlight, a condensed highlight. We are creating more and more content format 
not only in, in uh, like normal production in, in with the NFL we introduced the NFL a game in 40 at uh, the draft in 40 we'll maybe launching something in 60 now and very often this can be done directly on the player automatically right so i can say, i can watch a game and say ah, there are four or five versions. i can say that the 2 minutes or the 20 minutes or depending also on the game so this kind of non-linear beyond tv experience seems to be a natural solution to you know chaotic schedule or mm. clearly for us when we are involved directly in the event it means wow <laughs> do we we need to send we will need to send maybe less people in all over the world in different timing so on the behind the scene yeah it's digital doesn't solve everything <laughs> but in, for fans i think that seems a natural and more and more both the sport properties going direct to consumer or the broadcaster uh, because they launch, uh, you know, new services that are clearly more OTT than, than linear, even if still there is a transition to completely happen, they're going in that direction for sure. Yeah, definitely. And it's, I mean, it's part of the, the coronavirus didn't create new trends. I keep, I keep saying this, it just sped up existing ones. Like it's not, yes, none of yes. this is new. This is just, the key people are starting to take notice of that um, and fans are beginning to expect it. So uh, one of the analogies that use a lot is the music industry that faced a lot of digital disruption um, and then streaming services came along and, put, and fans wanted, fans of music wanted to be able to listen to who they wanted, when they wanted, they wanted sort of one song, not a hot, buy a whole album. Um, and the same way that with linear, you're having people that are, that are, um, Core cutting because maybe they don't want a whole package. They just want one part of it. They just want to follow one sport. Um, they OTT. They want to watch. You know when they want that on demand. They they want that specific area of it. Um, is that for both rights holders being disrupted and then broadcasters? Do you see that as a solution? Kind of rights holders go direct to consumer and then broadcasters um, an OTT offering. And and uh, and do they then clash? Is it is it getting one of those points where um, rights prop, rights holders will no longer um, rely on broadcasters as much? But I think it's a it's a long transition, and if you want that, that has been the the theme of the last already five to ten years almost, and it will be for the next five to ten. I think it will be in some ways a transition. I see more and more mixed solution. So more and more, I think there may be still some sports right holders that just sell all the rights uh, and do nothing else. Even the big ones that are so lucky to sell every single rights and create multiple packages and everything are going direct to consumer. So if five years ago, we were, if we would say, okay, direct to consumer means again, something against the sell selling media rights, I think more and more it, it's supplementing the media yeah. rights. One, because more and more, every sport is a bit different. Sport with huge domestic footprint, going international, uh, the NFL, MLB, NBA, all the American leagues, major leagues, started going international and they went in a, in a variety of ways, but mo most of them or all of them created non-exclusive digital then now OTT platforms, NFL Game Pass that we manage and others. We're also doing tennis TV, we're doing golf TV, we're doing a lot of this global OTT. And that's something that in some way, um, and depending on the sports structure, even if you sell rights in some countries, many countries, 
normally not all of your content is available. So if you have the deep fan and you, I don't want to say easily because never, it's never easy, but you can create, if you want, easily um, a global platform where all the content is available, is, is also managed by you. So in theory, it should be the best whatever sport experience someone can create because you own the sport. So uh, I can imagine the NFL creates the, better, the best uh, you know, uh, football experience worldwide, etc. So that's already something that has happened. But more and more, uh, not everybody is FIFA, not everybody is the NFL. Uh, so a lot of sport rights holders are starting to evaluate, okay, in these territories, we're really doing minimal. We have a broadcast partner. There's not a lot of competition. So there are two, if you will, two phases. One, if we create something that is an alternative, we have more negotiation power. Yeah. So if I have an alternative, non-exclusive in all countries, my content is accessible. One, you're reaching fans because social is great to reach fans, but that's not the sort of engagement that you can immediately or, or soon monetize, right? If you start to have your content available in all territory where it makes sense, not, not all sports are really global, but most of them are. And that's the first, if you want, defensive move to say, okay, if there is nobody want, that wants to buy the rights um, for good reason, I'm available. So fans, this is how you can get it. If there is only one or there's not a lot of interest, I start to have some negotiation power. Yeah. And second, I think something that is underestimated, I as a sport property that is definitely not built as a direct-to-consumer business or brand, I start learning. I start learning when I will then negotiate with someone like Amazon, Facebook, or the big guys that understand the audience extremely well. I start to understand, you know, what it means to go direct to consumer. I need a, a strong marketing engine, acquisition, conversion. How do I retain my fans? How do I uh, apply anti-churn strategies and things like that? And second, at some point when I'm, you know, I'm solid with my OTT solution, I can say, okay, you want to pay me that money in this category? I'll stay on, on my own. Yeah. I'll go there to consumer. And this and more and more you see, even in traditional broadcast layers of rights. So BT and Sky getting together. So 11 going on the other distribution platform. So I see multiple revenue streams instead of just alternative media rights or direct to consumer. But Long term, if a sport, uh, sport property rights holders doesn't really execute direct to consumer, also lose the, con the touch with the fans in a world that is totally going in different direction of social. You need to know the fan to have a long term vision, I think. So that's why I think going direct to consumer now is super important. And is that the risk? I mean, similar to, to music, it was piracy was the was the point where they didn't understand their fans. They didn't go direct to consumer in that in that kind of um, digital access. Um, and then f music listeners, fans went elsewhere. They could find it um, for free uh, through piracy. Is that? I mean, that's that's one issue. Is do you think that's the main issue, or is it, is is that? Uh, it's kind of more important that they just basically lose their fans. They don't, uh, they become unknown and they become disengaged. But there are two, I think you're right. There are two aspects or two threats. One is fans just lose interest. There are a lot of conversation, especially because, you know, when you meet at conferences is normally um, more and more finally women, men and women with kids, sometimes young, but often my age. 
and you have this understanding that not really all of the young generation is spending four hours to watch a full game mm. and the way they consume content is very different and the interest I use very often a, a way of describing Delta Tre as a platform to enable and monetize passions it's not only about sport you normally I, I think even people my age or your age we consume content by our passions mm. And very often we go, because the way social is built very often, we go from one passion to the other or from a celebrity to, I don't know, food or whatever everybody likes. Very fluid, right? And if sport is not accessible, if sport doesn't understand this change in, in, in fans' consumption and engagement, can go out of the stream. So you may not have. Even when they grow up, these people are not used to consume sport in that way and you're still making money in that way. And that's one risk. The other one, piracy can, it's normally a bit under the radar. There are some, some people very vocal about piracy, uh, as you may have seen in Europe and in Middle East. And it is a problem, like I think for the, the magic of, you know, Apple Music and, and the iPod in the past, before it was called Apple Music. It made it make it, it. You have to make it easy. So the, one of the words we use a lot is frictionless. Mm. Clearly, piracy is available. I've, I've never used anything illegal, not because I didn't want to, uh, uh, in music or in sport. Even if sometimes we have to learn, so we ne- we need to understand how, how things work in that area. If getting sport, um, it's easy and works on all my devices. And piracy is always a bit more complex in any case, and I have to, to be a bit of a geek to do it. The portion of people that we really want to do it is small, but you need to make it super easy, super frictionless, available on all devices and working perfectly on the legal way, right? So if that's the mentality, uh, I don't think piracy will be per se the thing that can break, the, like it did with the music, yeah. that can break the business model. It's an annoyance, it's lost revenue, can be problematic. So I, I'm not underestimating. We are doing a lot in that area, more and more. And as you know, you have to learn every day. So because they are smarter than, than we are, I think. Uh, but on the other hand, I don't think it can break the business model if uh, the, the industry moves in that direction, mm. which is, again, focusing on the fan in the, in the end. Yeah, it's, it's, it's different. Um, I mean, it's, it's different motivations and maybe different... Um, incentives behind it but at the end of the day it's it's still got the same direction which is how do you make this a frictionless fan experience how do you give fans what they want when they want it how do you personalize that content um and again something that that music streaming music services things like spotify that's what it's about it's about giving you what you want and then things that you don't even know what you want you know using that to to build data to build a profile around you so Um, and the end of the day, you end up with a fantastic product. So yeah, really, really interesting, um, chat, Carlo. Thank you so much for your time. We've kind of covered a lot of ground. Um, and, uh, for anyone who's, who's listening and wants to kind of get inside, step inside Carlo's head, um, on LinkedIn, he, and Medium, sorry, we'll on LinkedIn on both. We'll include his LinkedIn, um, in the show notes, um, and his Medium as well. Um, he shares some thoughts pretty regularly. So if you want to know what's happening in the next two years, um, give that a listen. Yeah. And, and I'm very proud of my Twitter account because I was able to get the at CDM, 
which is my acronym. So a three-letter Twitter account is the thing I will bring at the end of my career with me, I guess. Yeah, there you go. You're <laughs> on Twitter as well. Yeah, exactly. You're um, <laughs> yeah, your digital, digital flag in the ground. So <laughs> exactly. thanks so much for your time. We've got one last question to leave you with. What is your favorite sporting moment of all time? Huh. So on the, uh, I have maybe three. The obvious one are 1982 World Cup and 2006 World Cup. But maybe I was in the, in 1990, I was in the athletic stadium in Tokyo for the World Championship when um, Powell and Carl Lewis beat the record for long jump after many, many years, Bob Beamon record. And I was there like 10 meters from where it happened inside the stadium. And that was amazing. It was an amazing sport moment for me. Fantastic. Maybe that's the pinnacle. But yes, Italy winning the World Cup, what can I say? Yes. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. Um, but I will I'll in, try and include some um, videos to that as well so people can, can relive those moments uh, with you. Okay. Thank you, Thomas. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Carlo. It's great to have you on Sports Tech Feed and we'll, uh, we'll chat to you again soon. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. There you have it. That was Carlo Di Marquis from Delta Trey, chief uh, group chief evangelist. Um, has had a myriad of other titles in 32 years and three months. Um, that's actually older than I am. Carlo has an incredible depth of knowledge in the industry, and really, um, it's it's an honour to chat to him and 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 what he's talking about. Um, he's been talking about for a while now, and I really think that coronavirus and the pandemic and everything else then this kind of Digital is a must-have rather than a nice-to-have. And that disruption that's happening from digital is, is something that he's seen coming down the pipeline for a while. So uh, if you want to stay up to date with what he's thinking about and what he's uh, looking into, look at the medium, as I as I mentioned in, in the end there. So sportstechfeed.com, show notes. You can also subscribe there. Um, or you can go to sportstechworldseries.com to subscribe to our newsletter where you will get each uh, episode every week. You also get some news and some industry deep dives. So if you're kind of looking to build your knowledge uh, in the industry, then that's a that's a great starting point for that. And as I said in the intro, if you would like to chat more, Thomas at sportstechworldseries.com. Uh, and you can also hit me up at, on LinkedIn, uh, Thomas Alomes, right there. So thanks for listening to Sports Tech Feed. Looking forward to seeing you next week. Ah!